morning, New Hope. Well, it's good to see some of you haven't left town, but judging by the traffic going out of town, I'm surprised anybody's here this morning. Did you see the traffic going out of town? It was incredible. Okay, if you're here for the first time, I want to say welcome. I'm glad that you came. If you just want to pick up, you, you would have been given a set of notes as you came in. Some of you, especially visiting from America, might need my notes because I speak quite quickly. <laughs> just to follow along. Last week, guys, we were looking at a series called Getting to Know God. And last week, basically, we were contrasting the world that constantly changes with the fact that our God does not change. He is constant. There's no shadow of turning. He didn't have to amend his plans because he forgot something. You know, he knows full well ahead of time. So we looked at one of the major, major attributes of God, his unchangeableness. And, you know, can you remember what the word for that is theologically? It's called immutability. Well done. Thank you. Immutability, which is great. He does not change. Today, though, we're going to look at another major attribute of God, which is related to His immutability, and that is God's amazing. And every time I look at this, I see something different. God's amazing love. Look at this verse, verse, on the screen and on your outline. It says this. We know, by the way, by experience. We know, you may want to put up there, by experience and rely on the love of God. If you're relying on something, you're leaning on that. We know by experience and rely on the love God has for us because God is love. That means God's personality, His very nature resonates love. Now notice, by the way, another small sidebar here. Notice the intimate connection between knowledge and faith. There is one there. Notice it. Now, one of the most talked about attributes of God is clearly enunciated in that verse. However, it is probably one of the attributes which is most easily misunderstood. First, do not confuse this. It says this, God is love. It doesn't say love is God. Don't get that mixed up. There is a big difference. This, this does not mean God lets me get away with sinning willy-nilly. No way. It does not mean that. There's another side to God. He has his love. And we're going to do a message on God's justice, which is sorely missed today by many Christians. Oh, thank God that he loves me. That's very important, first and foremost. Because whilst we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before we had done, we didn't even know Him, yet He took the initiative. He demonstrated His love by taking initiative. But there's another side, which we forget. We don't like to talk about this other one, which we'll get to. God's justice and accountability for the way that we live. Now, so that does not mean that God lets me get away with word. I can do anything I want to, uh, because God loves me, He just oh, kind of like closes the blind eye and slaps me on the wrist. That is completely false. Completely false. What it means is that God wants the best for you. He's for you and He's not against you. Now you might find that sometimes you're not for God because of the way that we act. So if that's true, if God is really for us, the question I want to address first and foremost, excuse me, is why do people avoid God? Why do people at your work 
at university, avoid God. I want to look at three common fears I've observed, three main reasons why people kind of play with God at the extreme or entertain the idea of God, but don't get serious. The first fear that I hear throughout the different levels of society, doesn't matter if it's business, university, or teenagers, is they're afraid they'll have to give up their fun. Their fun. In other words, to become a Christian means you're going to be miserable. There's fun, finished, party over, end of story. That's why. Now we are very interested in having fun these days. Anybody ever notice that? TV programs advertise a lot of fun and advertisements well. They try and entice you, give us this particular image. This is having fun. This is it. And they try and hold us up and say, well, this is fun. And if you ain't got that, you ain't having fun. That's the way advert, um, advertisement, uh, advertisements actually work. If you buy our product, whoa, then you'll be happy. Huh? And then it wore off. <laughs> Anybody find that same effect? And then it wore off. You know, if you have this particular experience or go to this particular event, Go to our concert, visit this exotic place, the Bahamas. Just do that and you'll be happy. You'll have fun. And then you come back to real life. Can I say this? It gets a lot better than that. A lot better. If you know God, it is so much better than that. Those are artificial sweeteners and they don't last In fact, you'll just get fat consuming those. People are frantically looking for fun fixes in life. However, many of them haven't figured out they are fighting the law of diminishing joy. Many of you know in economics it's called the law of diminishing returns. And that's exactly that same principle of entropy applies here. Spending more and more time, more and more money to get less and less satisfaction. What song can you hear about now? I can't get no. Who was that? Mick Jagger. He had it all. All the women he wanted, all the drugs he wanted, all the money he wanted, all the houses he wanted, all the cars he wanted. And what was his response? I can't get no satisfaction. It's not it. It's a mirage. It's artificial. Point. Many people are looking for fun in all the wrong places. Now look, on the other hand, what God says about this. I just chose a few for sake of time. 1 Timothy 6, 17. God. Who? God. So let's get this right. God richly provides, not miserably, richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God provides these things for us to enjoy. There's an intention there for us to enjoy. God wants you to enjoy your life. He doesn't want to take your fun away. Another verse, Matthew 11, uh, 19, and the Philip says, Jesus came enjoying life. Fun. 
is a unified family. Fun is a clear conscience. Laughing at church. Fun is having friends who don't screw you over because they are Christians. Fun is enjoying the world God's made. Enjoyment is being content and full of appreciation and gratitude. That, my friend, is fun. Second fear, why people don't become Christians is that they are afraid of becoming a fanatic. A fanatic. Let me explain that a little. Often well-meaning, and I'm not talking about evil people. I'm not talking about bad people. I'm talking about well-meaning people who are misguided and tend to cause other people to stay away from God because of their fanaticism. Let me, maybe you've seen, I've seen four of these people and just to make it even, I was very careful to make it two women and two men to give you examples that you might relate to. The first one is Freddie the Pharisee. Ever met him? Freddie the Pharisee is rigid. That's it. And he's very, 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 very narrow. Extremely legalistic. And he has a rule for everything. And his favourite word is don't. People see him as negative. Killjoy. Freddie the Pharisee. The second person and you may have met this person too. She's a woman. Her name's Susie Self-Righteous. <laughs> and she's got a holier-than-thou attitude and quite judgmental. Ever met anybody like that? I know I have. Then there's another good one. This is a guy, Billy Bible Thumper. He is overzealous, actually to the point of being obnoxious. And if it's alive... That guy's mission in life is to convert it. <laughs> His favourite phrase is basically turn or burn, but he's going to get you. And then the last one, just quickly, is Pauline Praiseluya. <laughs> she can't even speak one sentence without a religious cliche in it. Ever met her? Bye. Everything is a miracle. Or the devil did it. Kind of two extremes. And the favourite phrase is, believe and receive. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Now the unchurched person looks at that and thinks, hmm, I don't quite understand that language. I need somebody I have an openness to God, but I need somebody to interpret that religiosity, that Christianese into my language so I can relate. People wonder, if I become a Christian, will I have to speak like that? Because I'm not sure I could do that with integrity in my heart. Because believe it or not, some unchurched people, many of them, have genuine hearts and, and, and would find it very difficult to say those words. Very difficult. Many unchurched people wonder if I, if I become a Christian, would I have to put my brains on the shelf and check them at the door before I came into church? Now the fact is, Jesus said in John 10.10, 10, I, Jesus, have come that you might have life, not religion. Please, young people, differentiate from this. All the people, do not, be careful. Be very careful. The Apostle Peter, having a snooze on the roof, remember? And a sheep came down. 
And there, there was all his food to eat. And because of his tradition and, and, and the voice of God said to him, hey, take and eat. And he said, oh, no way. Now, hang on, what's going on here? His tradition is overruling the voice of God. Three times this happened. Traditions are strong. And sometimes we don't even realise we've been captured by them. Peter certainly didn't. I have come that you may have life, not religion, and have it to the fullest. Don't get bogged down in legalism or religiosity, fanaticism. I guarantee you, Jesus, when he was on this earth, didn't speak in King James. He spoke the language of the people and they understood him. The harshest criticism, check me out on this. In the Bible, that Jesus ever gave to anybody was to the religious fanatics. Not to the woman caught in adultery or to the other sinners, which they were all, but to the religious fanatics. He couldn't stand them. He actually told them, I'll give you one quick snippet. You whitewashed bunch of sepulchres. You strain out the smallest thing and yet you miss the big picture. He's almost like you're saying, in a sanctified way, you wallies. You missed it. God doesn't want you to make you some sort of weirdo fanatic. In fact, the more spiritual you are, often the more natural you are. You speak the language of the people. That's the whole point of Acts 2. Go read it. Fear number three. And this is a big one. Big one. And the fear number three, why a lot of people who are unchurched sitting around you at work don't become Christians, it's because they fear that if they did, they would lose their freedom. Their freedom. Now the world, notice the way the world though defines. I teach my kids, whenever you start to have a debate or discussion, define terms. Otherwise you're on a slippery slope. The world tends to define freedom as life without any constraint. That's how they roughly say that. Do anything I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want, without any restraint. Say anything that I want to, without anybody telling me yes or no. That's their kind of idea of freedom. Not accountable. You know, I left three marriages behind, but I did it my way. That's total selfishness. I had my freedom. What has sexual freedom given us? Tell you what it has done, it's weakened the very core of what God intended, which is family and marriage. It's given us AIDS, countless fatherless children, abortions. Do you know my own country has killed nearly, was it now, Josh, 50 million? 50 million children. Hard. And it's not because the woman was in danger or life was in danger or the baby was just, oh, I forgot to take some contraception. 50 million, and we thought Hitler was bad. There's a, somewhere in that, there's a point. What about credit card freedom has given us? What's that given us? I'll tell you what it's given us, 146 easy payments. But there's no such thing as an easy payment, remember? It's all hard, they're all hard. Friends, you are not as free as you think you are. The Bible teaches us very clearly this principle. Every choice, parents, teach this to your children clearly, explicitly. Every choice has a consequence. 
teach it, drill it into them. You say yes to this, you say no to that. You are free to live any way you choose to live. But once you make that choice, you are no longer free. You will sow, uh, reap what you sow because God is not mocked. There's a law of sowing and reaping. Now, what does the Bible say? We've looked at what the world says. What does the Bible say about freedom? This is the lovely part. In John 8, 36, the Bible says this. Jesus said, if the Son, not a visa, but if the Son will set you free, you will be really free. That is true freedom. Real freedom. Circle really. He's talking about real freedom, not phony, fake, mirage-ish type of freedom. That's a new word. Real freedom is freedom from guilt. Freedom from worry, be anxious for nothing. Freedom from bitterness. Freedom from the fear of death. Because I know I'm going to heaven, which is stunning. How many of you have ever been, gone on an overseas holiday? Yeah. You look forward to the day. Months before, and you say, oh, I need five more sleeps and I'm going to be gone. <laughs> well, in some way, We've got something far better than that. Keep that sense of excited, joyful expectation in your heart because we're on this planet for such a short time. Our true home is not here. So how do you rid yourself of those kinds of fears we've talked about? John 4, 1 John 4, 18 says, there is no fear in love, but perfect love counts out, drives out all fear. Now, the antidote to fear is to recognise how much God loves you. Love and fear cannot exist in the same heart at the same time. When you realise how much God loves you, you're not going to have fear of becoming a fanatic or that God's going to take away your fun or your freedom in life. He is a loving God. And the very first words of Jesus, when he came, I know, I know this, there's many of them we could have chosen, but on that very first Easter was this, do not be afraid. How many times, you see, you know, God visits his people and the very first words are, do not be afraid. Do not. He said, I don't want you to be afraid. I didn't come to scare you. I came to save you. That's my plan. Now we need to realise how much God loves us and we often get distracted in this world. So how much does he love me? Classic verse on this is Ephesians 3.17. Paul says this, I pray that you will grasp, get a grip, a firm grip. You, it doesn't slip through your hands. How wide and how long, how high and how deep is the love of Christ? There are four dimensions here. Wide, long, high and deep. Four ways God's love grows for you. Number one, God's love is wide enough to include, listen carefully, everyone. Everyone. Psalm 145 verse 17 says, the Lord is loving towards, what's the next word? All he has made. All he has made. That's everybody. He never made anybody he didn't love. Now they may not choose to love him back equally, but he still, like your children. You made them all in love and you bestow your love, but guess what? They may not all love you back exactly the same. And then God so loved the world. The world. 
Who does that include? Everybody is universal. The good news is that God loves me. The bad news is he loves my enemies just as much. <laughs> Jesus loved the unlovely. That's what upset the religious fanatics. Everybody you meet this week at work, customers, truck drivers, students, God loves. And He loves you very much and you matter to Him. Now that, my friends, right there, right there, is a secret of self-esteem. If you want to ever feel good about yourself, if you want to have confidence and realise how much you matter to God, you need to understand that He made you, He doesn't make junk, and He loves you. And if, if I like me and God likes me, if you don't like me, that is your problem. You've got to come down to that sometimes. If God likes me, who cares what anybody else thinks? Who cares? Because it's His opinion that ultimately matters. Because God loves me, I don't have to therefore prove my self-worth. Now, if I don't know that God loves me, I will tend to say things and do things that try and pump up my self-worth because I don't feel it inside. And this is how it works. And by the way, that is so relaxing to know that. I don't have to prove my self-worth. So I don't need the props anymore to make myself feel good about myself. I don't have to wear certain kinds of clothes to make me feel that I'm okay or drive a certain type of car to make me feel accepted. I don't have to live under that pressure. Very freeing. I don't have to, I don't have to drive a particular car to prop up my faltering ego because it's secure in God whose love for me never changes. I don't have to have certain status symbols around my house. You know why? I don't need them. Don't need them. That has lots of implications. Think about that. Otherwise, you end up buying things you don't need. Think about all that stuff in your storage locker. Or even in your house, half the stuff. Buying things you don't need, which is worse sometimes with money you don't have to impress people, you know, that you shouldn't really have to impress because if they love you, they don't care about what you have or don't have. He made you and he loves you and God's love is wide enough to include everyone. Number two, God's love is long enough to last forever. Jeremiah 31, three says this, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That is mind boggling, an everlasting love. Again, Psalm 89 too, God's love will last. I just love things that last. I get frustrated with things that promise to last and don't. Do you? Well, now this is so different by the way, that kind of love that we just looked at there is so different to our love. Human love, and maybe you haven't found this out yet, but I have, human love can wear out. That's why we have a lot of divorces. Now, I also, on the other hand, know a lot of people who are not divorced, but they don't love each other anymore. There's a limit. Human love 
can dry up. That's why you have to have God's love in your marriage if it's gonna last. I don't know how, personally, I don't know how marriages last without God's love in them. Human love just wears out and it can, yeah, and especially when it's hurt. When it's hurt, it's, it's like we've got a little flower on a, on a, in fact, we've got lots of little flowers. In fact, the Desmond's flowers, they're these ice plants and they open and they're beautiful when the sun's out. But boy, when the sun goes in, and it's almost like love. When we feel the love of God, we open up and we shine and we have joy and laughter in our hearts. But man, the moment we get hurt, we shut up and then we wonder why there's like an icicle between spouses. Huh? Anybody been there? Let's next point. Right. <laughs> okay. God's love is patient and it's persisting and it perseveres. God's love never gives up. Big difference. It is wide enough to include everybody. It's long enough to last forever. Now God, this is something to think about. God's love is of such quality that He will never love you any more than He does right now, but He'll never love you any less than He does right now. He will love you on your good days. Oh, you get that, but you don't get the second part. He'll also love you on your bad days because His love never changes. Your emotions will change. So Jesus showed that on the cross because although we didn't even know Him yet, He died for us. He always takes the initiative and we have the choice then to respond, yes or no. So God's love is unearned. You saw that in the cross. before He died on the cross before you even knew Him. It's undeserved. All you need to do is make the choice to accept that and respond to the wooing of His Holy Spirit. Third, God's love is high enough to be everywhere. Romans 8, 39. Neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Some of you need to take that verse, highlight it, put it on your fridge and memorise that completely. There is no place that you can go that God's love can't reach you. That means there's no circumstance that can happen to you in your life that can separate you from the love of God. And if you want the antidote to loneliness, there it is right there. Remember that verse. Nothing. That's a fact. Now, the other fact is too, this comes into real play in the ups and downs of the life, in the sorrows and the joys. The fact is that we all lose loved ones. Now, if you're married, one of you is gonna die first and you will grieve and should grieve over that. But if you're a Christian, to sustain you through those difficult and testing times, you can rely on God's unfailing love and you will be able to sense His gracious presence of the everlasting arms supporting you underneath all that. I am not talking about religion. I'm talking about a relationship with Jesus Christ and His love lasts forever and His love is everywhere. And number four, God's love is deep enough to meet my needs. Deep, very deep. It's amazing. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 40. My only hope. Not my hope 
is in my job. Not my hope is in my children. Not my hope is in my bank account or my stock portfolio or in my retirement plan. What a bunch of tut. My only hope is your love. Circle that only. For my problems are too big for me to solve and are piled over my head. I'm in over my head. That's what that's saying there. <laughs> I'm up to here. That was your favourite saying. I'm up to here. Often it was with me. <laughs> I'm about to sink. The fact is God's love is not shallow. It's profound. And no matter what problem you have, His love is deeper than your problem. Now, some of you who are here today and you are listening to this, you're in deep despair. You're in the deep stress and it's affecting you physically. You've got deep problems, emotional problems, and they're manifesting themselves in physical problems. Some of you have got financial problems, but God's love is still deeper. I want to draw from a, a lady I read maybe 20 years ago, Corrie Ten Boom and Betsy Ten Boom. They were Christians who were from the Netherlands. And during World War II, one of their roles was to hide Jews in their home, which is, of course, very dangerous and protect them from the Nazis. Now, somebody sprung them, and those of you who've seen the movie would know. When Corrie and Betsy were taken to the concentration camp, they spent their lives there during the rest of the war. Corrie came out alive, but her sister Betsy, who was also a believer, died. And at one point, if you see the movie, about their experience, where they'd seen one atrocity after the other in these concentration camps, Corrie, who we, who's probably the most famous of the two, says to her sister Betsy, this place is the pit of hell. That's what she says. Um, Betsy says this, encourages her sister, no, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper. That is amazing in the middle of that. Now, some of you in the last few weeks and few months have hit rock bottom. Some of you have hit rock bottom financially. And some of you have hit rock bottom emotionally. Some of you, your marriages have struck a hard place. Some of you are having health problems. And your health has hit bottom and you're frustrated and you're thinking, I am going under. Where is God when you feel like that? Deuteronomy 33, 27 says this. The eternal God is your refuge and He's underneath you and underneath you are His everlasting arms. And the picture there is like carrying a baby. Circle underneath you. When you hit bottom, guess who's got you? Underneath. God is. Drop into His arms of love and let your heavenly Father soothe your soul. Let Him support you when you have nowhere else to go. Now, when you look at these four phrases, know the height, the depth, the length, and the width of God's love. That's the four dimensions. And I like to think of it like the cross. You can't really talk about the love of God without talking about the cross because it's the ultimate demonstration of love. 
someone giving their life for you. Look at this. Oh, actually, you didn't put it in your Bible. The Bible says, um, in, on your outline, the Bible says, greater love has no man than he lays down his life for his friends. And then the Bible tells us in Romans 5.8, God demonstrated or showed how much he really loves us by dying for us. Now you may want to circle here. He demonstrated that and showed how much he really loves us. Jesus Christ showed how much he loved us when he stretched out his arms. And he said, to love you this much, it hurts. But because I love you, I'm doing this. And this is the only way for it to happen. And I'm prepared for that. Now, when you reject that kind of love and expect God to let you into heaven, can I say extremely respectfully, but clearly that is the ultimate form of arrogance. To walk away from that kind of love as if it doesn't matter. It matters. And you matter to God. And that's why he did it. If you say, well, wow, well, thanks. But I've got my own life to live. Besides, I don't want to be a fanatic. I don't want to lose my fun or give up my freedom. Can I respectfully say to you, be serious. What do you think God is? You wouldn't even be here if he didn't will you to be here and design you before you were even born. You wouldn't be alive. Who gave you your life? Because your only other choice is even that hopeless thought of matter creating mind. Whereas actually the other way around, mind created matter. The fact is that every one of us came here this morning for different reasons. Some of you came because you're just checking out this church called New Hope. Some are checking out Christianity. And some of you came because you thought, well, I've got a real issue. And I hope I'll find an answer at church. Multiple reasons. But regardless of why you came, God knew you'd be here. This is quite mind-blowing. Even in the seat you'd be sitting before you were born on this day. Some of you in this room have felt God's love in the past and you were close to God and you felt His care, you knew His concern, but you kind of drifted away. And maybe you've wondered, can I ever get back to that beautiful simplicity of a relationship I had with Him before? And God says one thing to you this morning. He says it here, with deep love, I will take you back. And that's what God wants to say to you. I have a plan for your life, even through the frustrations and the problems. I want you to get to know me and let me show you why I made you, why you're here on earth. Some of you are struggling with that. Not just to take up space, to breathe, to work, to die. But you're here for a reason. Don't reject God's love this morning. There is no one who will ever love you more than God. Would you pray with me? I invite you this morning to pray a prayer from your heart. You don't even have to say it out loud because our all-knowing God knows your heart and what you think. And God will hear you. He knows the very thoughts that are going through your brain right now because He made you. And you don't have to say any fancy formula or specific words. 
The real deal is the attitude of your heart. Would you say this to God? Just be honest with Him and say, God, this morning, would you help me to realize how much you love me? Would you help me to realize that you care and I'm aware of my problems and my needs? Father, help me to realize that you have a plan for my life and would you forgive me for being standoffish, for being afraid of you. Help me to realize that you want what's best for my life because you created me to live a life that's full of purpose and honoring to you. Today, I want to come back to you. Friends, today Jesus Christ demonstrated His love for you and He died in your place for your sin. And three days later, He rose again. And today, billions of people are celebrating and honouring that around the world this Sunday. Would you do that in your heart by opening your heart to the love of Jesus? Would you say, Jesus Christ, I don't understand it all. But as much as I know how, I ask you to come into my life to make me the person you want me to be and that I want to be. Help me to really sense your love by your Spirit in a way that I've never done before. And if you pray that prayer, I believe God heard you. The Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's just the tip. Lord, thank you so much for your love for us. Thank you that your cross demonstrates the heights and the depths and the width and the length of your love. Thank you that there is no fear in love. And that perfect love casts out all fear. So we don't have to ever fear you. We can know you personally and we can thank you in the powerful and everlasting name of Jesus Christ our Lord. And all the people said, Amen. Today, if you've decided that you want to give your heart to Jesus, would you let me know about that in the back of your communication card? Be sure to pop your, your email or your, your cell phone number on there because I'd love to talk with you this week. God bless you.